0: Well, good morning. Welcome to Westbridge Church. My name's Jeremiah. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is so great to have you with us on this beautiful spring day. Amazing, right? Uh, I want to encourage you. I saw the sun for about five minutes the other day. It was glorious. So, Uh, and I, I have it on good authority that we will see it again some point in the next month. So, Pretty awesome, pretty exciting stuff. And uh, I want to say hello to those of you in our parent viewing area. That's a great option uh, if you have small children that you prefer to keep with you during the service. That's a great way to do that. Uh, also, those of you watching on our online campus, awesome to have you joining us there. And in fact, uh, put your favorite emoji in the chat if you're watching online with us today. And uh, a couple of quick things before we jump into this talk this morning, and uh, we're launching this new series today. But before we do that, uh, a couple of things I want to make you aware of is uh, we've got a, a season of group starting. It's going to really Really, just encompass this next five-week series, and so that starts today. Groups start this week for five weeks, and uh, you can go to the Church Center app and view. There's several groups that are adding members that you can jump into. This is a perfect on-ramp where you can jump into a group season for the next five weeks and participate with a group. And we'd love to have you do that. And all you have to do is just go to the Church Center app or go to our website and click on groups, and you can see all the groups that are available and jump into one of those. And so we would love to have you uh, participate in that. Uh, it's a great way to get to know other. people people and grow in your faith at the same time. Uh, each one of these groups, essentially, uh, we we walk through the message on Sunday morning, the talk, and then... Uh get together and talk about, okay, how do we take what we're talking about on a Sunday and actually apply it to my context in my life and build friendships with other people in that process. So really what you're doing is you're building relationships, you're growing in your faith, and uh, we'd love for you to participate in that for your sake, for your own uh, continued spiritual growth. And so I want to encourage you to jump into that. And then the other thing I want to just share with you is just a, such a cool thing, um, many of you are aware we do this over the last couple of years we started this thing called the legacy project and this was a way for us to continue to give above and beyond because god's been so good to us and this is a way for us to say how do we even outside of westbridge church locally how do we make a difference around the world how do we leave a legacy that actually outlives our lives and so we started this whole separate fund and this other bucket that we said uh, every year we're going to do this legacy offering, and we're going to give above and beyond to that so that we can give to these partners around the world. And uh, about a month ago, one of our global partners who's in Dominican Republic came to us, and over the last couple of years, as we've supported them, every time you give to Westbridge Church, we give to our global partners, and we give a, you know 10% of what comes in here to the church away around the world. And so... Uh, they came to us about a month ago and just said, hey, we've got this water thing that we got up and running. It's a, it's a water plant where they're literally, um, uh, they, they have this uh, system where they're filtering water, they're selling water, and it's just kind of a win-win-win because what it's done is it's created jobs for people locally who can work at the water plant. It's giving water to people who need water, and then it's helping to fund the ministry. And so it's just kind of this win-win-win thing. But they've been delivering it on these, like, mopeds, Okay, now imagine this: those five-gallon like culligan things strapped to a moped, driving around Dominican Republic, dropping off water. It's just—it's amazing. And they said, "Man, we just got to get a truck. Would you be willing to um, do like a campaign at Westbridge Church and and have us raise money?" And I said, "Man, you know what?" we would rather just give you money because our church is generous. And rather than go to people and say, hey, you know what, could you guys be generous and do this? I just want to come to you and say, hey, here's what your generosity has already done. And so uh, two weeks ago, we were able to send them a check for $20,000 to help them purchase a vehicle. And that's because we had the money because you guys have been so generous Uh, with our legacy project, that that was sitting in an account waiting for uh, projects like this to come up. And, And so we get to do that all year long with money that came in. We get to start sending it out to all of these different things. And it's so exciting to say, hey, I love that I don't have to come back on a Sunday morning and go, man, if you guys could just be generous, then we could maybe help these people. I love that I get to come back and go, hey, because you're so generous already, here's what we've done. And I think that's so awesome. And I just want to say thanks to you guys uh, for being such a generous church. And uh, we get to continue to be uh, a blessing to people around the world because of your continued generosity. So thank you so much for doing that. Now, uh, today, uh, I wanna let you know right after service, uh, if, if we've never met before, if you've been coming for a, a few weeks or a few months and uh, we've never had the chance to meet, I'm gonna be hanging out right down here right after service, I'd love to meet you and say hi. If you've been coming for two years and we've never met, come say hi, I would love to connect a name and a face. And uh, today we're jumping into a series called The Creed. Uh, this series is simply called Creed. And uh, I wanna point out this series is not to be confused with the recent movies Creed 1 and 2, okay? Also known as Rocky 17 and 18. Also, uh, this is not an in-depth study of Creed Bratton, the character from The Office, although that would be a fascinating study to go down because he was very quirky and uh, an interesting character also this series should not be confused with the legendary rock band creed okay (laughs) although i do hope you will receive this series with arms wide open (laughs) and i pray that it will take you higher okay yeah see what i did there yeah oh he's got dad jokes okay yeah there's plenty more where that came from all right this series that we're beginning today called Creed, uh, because over the next five weeks, we're going to look at something called the Apostles' Creed, and we're going to work our way through uh, the major themes that are found in the Apostles' Creed. So just to give you a little bit of background on that and history on this, uh, the Apostles' Creed was not written by the actual apostles. And it was just kind of given that name. So you have guys like Matthew and John uh, and Peter, and they were people who were eyewitnesses. They were contemporaries of Jesus and spent time with Jesus. But they aren't actually, they didn't sit down and pen the Apostles' Creed. It comes from as early as the second century, just a generation after uh, these first apostles. And in fact, it became a declaration of belief for people that were being baptized. It was an early uh, Roman confessional. And so as somebody was getting baptized in water, then what they would do is they would say, do you believe in God the Father? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? And then they would confess, this is what I believe. And so just one generation after Jesus, the way of Jesus was spreading like wildfire. Even in, in the face of incredible persecution from the Roman Empire, more and more and more people were putting their faith in Jesus. More and more people were following the way of Jesus. And they were living in these new communities of love and grace called churches. And in fact, this is what Jesus promised he would build. I would, I'm gonna build my church. I'm gonna build a gathering of people around this idea that I am who I say I am. And so the way of sort of living that these followers of Jesus, followers of the way of Jesus, eventually became known as Christians, but not right away during this time. And their way of living was attractive. And the story of Jesus's life and death and resurrection was so compelling that the number of people who were following Jesus and the number of churches that were popping up around the Roman Empire was multiplying. And as the numbers of believers grew, so did the numbers of false teachings about Jesus. Jesus. So people started to sort of add their own teachings, people started to pull in kind of their own previous ideas about a, a uh, religious upbringing or background that they brought with them, whether that was a pagan religion or uh, whether that was the Greek or Roman sort of deities, and they would kind of pull those in and mix and match, and some of them just cultural understandings of the, the moment that they were in, their current cultural moment, and just kind of adding that to Jesus' teachings and kind of reshaping who Jesus was. And so we don't know exactly who wrote the first creed, but it was adopted from this Roman confession and eventually put into writing, and for almost 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have been using this, and the Apostles' Creed is basically a summary statement. It's a summary of major sort of um, what we would call essential beliefs, and it does a really good job of summarizing the good news of the message of Jesus in just a few short sentences. And while we don't know who originally wrote it, <clears throat> we do know why they wrote it, and we know how followers of Jesus have used it for the last couple of thousand years. They use this as a way to bring unity to those things that they felt were essential beliefs. These are core doctrines of what it means to really what the message of Jesus is all about. And so this is really important for us to understand. The Apostles' Creed is not the Scripture's. It was written to help us understand the message of Jesus in a a summary statement. And so kind of in the same way that uh, the moon reflects the sun, this is a summary statement that reflects things that are taught in the Scriptures, things that come from the teachings of Jesus, but it is not the Scriptures themselves. Now, just so you know, here's how we approach this idea of essential beliefs Versus non-essential beliefs here at Westbridge Church. And you, I think this is really important. In essential beliefs, we have unity. In non-essential beliefs, we have liberty. In all our beliefs, we show love. This is really, really important. This is why you've heard us say, uh, you know, over and over again, you can, you can belong even before you believe. You don't have to believe everything we believe to be loved. Because Jesus came to love, right? And the really, this is really critical because it's so easy for churches to major on the minors and to uh, get caught up in non-essentials and internal politics. And when that happens to the church, everyone loses. But if we can keep the main thing the main thing, then we can stay on track with our essential beliefs while we love well the community of which we are a part. And so that is how we handle things. It's our goal when it comes to these sort of core doctrines, the the central message of Jesus, that we have unity around those things. And then there's some other fringe things that we go, you know what, There's, there's some disagreement around some of those things, but there's liberty in those things. But regardless of where we stand, we always show love. We always behave in love. Love is the guiding ethic for followers of Jesus, and the reason that I want to go through this and even the reason that we went through this series leading up to Easter that we went through Lent together is not because uh, we're you know, becoming a Roman Catholic church. Uh, depending on your religious background, you might have fond memories of reciting the creed in a worship service or you might have you know, creed PTSD from having to memorize it for catechism. I don't know. But whether you've ever heard it before or not, whatever your background, here's why we're using it during this season. We still do is in the the 21st century, what people did in the first century. We take whatever religious background we have or a lack of religious background, we take whatever kind of cultural moment we're in, and we sort of bring all of this to the message of Jesus. It's just human nature. It's tempting for us to take all of these things and uh, the religious background. Many took their cultural moment and adapted it the message of Jesus to just fit their lifestyle. And the truth is we're tempted to do those things today. So this summary statement serves as an anchor to bring unity to those things that we see as essential for followers of Jesus, those things that we're in agreement on. And the goal is that while we live in a world of uncertainty, while we live in a world of shifting beliefs all the time and a world of unprecedented changes, this series should provide a firm foundation as an anchor of hope for our souls. And again, while this statement, this, uh, this uh, Apostles' Creed is not Scripture, it reflects the core themes that are revealed through Jesus and his teachings. And uh, just so you know, we're gonna go through this together. This is written on the back of your outline, so you can have this each week. We'll put it on there. But we're gonna read the Apostles' Creed together. It goes like this. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit "...born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the holy universal church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting." Now, we sang a song this morning, and we're going to sing that throughout this series, that reflects this idea. That song is called This I Believe, or uh, it's got kind of a a subtitle, The Creed. And unfortunately, in recent years, many Christians and even entire denominations have surrendered some of the fundamentals of uh, our faith in an attempt to fit in with culture or an attempt to be accepted by culture. And what you need to know is our our goal with this is that we have a a baseline, a foundation of truth that we can build on. And in this surrender, sometimes churches or denominations uh, uh, kind of lose their identity uh, as God's people, and they forfeit the ability to have their lives transformed by God's power because instead they go, I want to be accepted by culture. I want to fit in with culture. But the truth is the kingdom of God, and we saw this last week, oftentimes runs counter to the way that our culture operates. The creed calls us to unchanging essentials in faith. And the first Christians and apostles believed and followed, and we have the opportunity to live out that same faith that the eyewitnesses lived out. The eyewitnesses, Peter, Paul, Mary, no, I'm just kidding, Uh, Peter, Paul, James, Martha, all of these people, and and those first century followers of Jesus. And we have the challenge to stay faithful uh, to these essentials as we pass on the same faith to the next generation. And so today we're going to begin with the first two lines of the creed, which describes for us and reveals a lot about who God is. As a follower of Jesus, when we say, I believe in God, the creed starts off with this, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. What does that reveal about God? And when we say as followers of Jesus, I believe in God, we are not aligning ourselves with any other ideas or beliefs about God. It's not the, the same God of uh, the Hindus or the same God of Muslims and any other religions. As Jesus people, uh, we, we don't buy into the notion that, well, you could just be a good person and all paths lead to God. In fact, the only reason we don't really buy into that is because it's not what Jesus taught. It's not what Jesus said. When we say, I believe in God, what we're saying is we believe in a specific God, A very specific God. Our God is not a force or a principle or simply a higher power. He's not the God that I wish him to be. He's not the God I want to make him out to be. He's not the God that, you know, hopefully fits with the way that I want to live my life and he just comes in and confirms, you know, the way that I want to live in my lifestyle. As a Christian, what we're saying is we believe in a specific God that was revealed throughout history, through the Jesus teachings, through the scriptures, as God who is uniquely three in one. And so here's the God that we believe in. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is the the triune nature of God, or if you've never heard this word before, it's often referred to as the Trinity. That means three, and there are three distinct beings, yet it's one God. Not three gods, one God revealed through three distinct beings. And if that hurts your brain a little bit, join the club. Me too. Me too. I'm telling you, the reason this matters, though, is because this is how God is revealed over and over and over again through the Scriptures. Over and over again, every single time that you see God and and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're never used interchangeably. They're always three distinct beings with Specific roles, doing different things. And here's just one of the many uh, verses that show us that. In John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to his disciples just before his arrest. He says, If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. And here, right in one verse, and we see this several times throughout the scriptures. All three aspects of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together. This is the God of the creed. This is the God that is revealed through the Scriptures. And here's why this matters. This is really important because over and over and over again through the Scriptures, through the teachings of Jesus, we are told God is love. John, one of Jesus' closest followers, writes this over and over again. God is love. Not, not God was a good example of love. He is love. If you want to know what love is, you look to God. God is love. And love is primarily not an emotion. In fact, this is really, really healthy for uh, anybody who is engaged, dating, married, been married for a long time, uh, any season of marriage. This is such an important thing to remind yourself of. Love is not an emotion. And sometimes we get tripped up with this because we think that love is about what I feel. But primarily, love is not something that you feel. Love is something that you choose. It is an action. It is saying, I'm going to, for the good of someone else, give of myself for their good. That's what love is. For love to exist, there has to be another for love to be acted upon. There has to be someone to act towards. Otherwise, it reduces love to simply an emotion. And so by understanding that God exists eternally in three distinct beings, he is able to be love because he is able to act towards the other beings as a part of who God is. He isn't just an emotion. He actually gives. the, the, The parts of the Trinity give to the others. And we are invited to be a part of that. Now, let's go through this description together. Of God in the creed, word by word. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, Creator of Heaven and Earth. Here's what this teaches us about God. And this first word is Father. Father, a personal God. I can know him. He's a personal God. I can, I can get to know him. The God that's revealed in Jesus and in the scriptures is not some distant, sort of uninvolved, unknowable deity that's kind of floating out there, and we hope that one day, you know, maybe we can have some kind of connection with him. Scripture shows us the exact opposite that God has always been pursuing relationship with us as a loving father. That's why God has made himself known throughout history. As a father, God, God wanted to give us something that as human beings we could understand, Then we could understand a relationship between a child and a parent. And in the Old Testament, God's the father of Israel, leading, protecting, loving, uh, providing, sometimes rebuking and correcting and calling people back to himself over and over again. In the New Testament, in the, in the last sort of third of the Bible after Jesus comes, Jesus claimed God as father. And the Apostle Paul would later write this, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. In other words, your relationship to God shouldn't be that he's this sort of uh, strong overlord master and you're this fearful slave. And it's like, oh, you're, you're this deity and we're to fear you. Paul says that that shouldn't be your relationship towards God. He said, That's not the spirit you received. Instead, you have received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. And now we call Him Abba Father, for His Spirit joins with our Spirit to affirm that we are God's children. That's incredible. That's really good news. That, that means Jesus taught that God was loving and approachable and personal, that he loves us unconditionally. And having the right picture of God is so important because everything flows out of that first idea about God. What do, we, what do we think about God? And over and over again, he's revealed as a father. But if you have the wrong picture of God, well, he's just distant or he's angry or he's uninterested in your life, he's uninvolved or he's just this cosmic killjoy and he's just waiting for you to break some kind of arbitrary rule so that he can strike you. It's going to cause you to view God and view your whole faith through a totally different lens. You want to know the single biggest hurdle that we have to seeing God as a loving father in our life? It's our own dads. It's our own earthly fathers. Uh, Because I know from my own perspective, I know how blessed I am because I actually grew up with a great dad. Uh, I, I... was able to grow up with a dad who, as imperfect as he is, he loved God, he loved my mom, he loved us kids, and he taught us what it means to follow Jesus. And so everything else aside from that, I have so much respect for my dad. And so admittedly, my ability to see God as a good father who pursues relationship, as a loving father, it's easier for me because I had a healthy experience with the image of my own dad. And yet I know this, that that is not the case for many of us. For many of us, uh, you had terrible fathers. Maybe you had an absent father. Maybe you had an, a father who was just uninterested or not very loving or not very kind or perhaps even cruel. And some of you had, uh, your, your challenge has been to work through your past. Because you're, you're coming to God and it's difficult for you to sort of uh, not see God the Father through the lens of your own earthly dad. And you've got to forgive and not overlay your negative experience with your earthly father on your image of your heavenly father. And I think one of the most important stories Jesus ever told that helps us to have a right picture of God is a a story about God the Father. It's it's a story known as the prodigal son. It's found in Luke chapter 15. I would encourage you to read that this week. Even if you've heard the story, I would encourage you this week, a little homework, go home, read Luke chapter 15. Because it tells the story of what has come to be known as the prodigal son. Now, this word prodigal simply means lavish or excessive or wasteful or reckless. And so it's the the story of the wasteful son, the reckless son, uh, the one who spends his uh, inheritance lavishly on an excessive lifestyle until he eventually burns through his whole inheritance and finds himself in poverty. And yet... When you read the story, this story is really about God as a father and how he responds to people who uh, presumably put him in the rearview mirror and say, I want nothing to do with you. I actually believe this story should be called the story of the prodigal father because the story paints the picture about how lavish and excessive and wasteful and reckless the father is with his love and his grace and his mercy. And he, he brings the son back into his arms and he brings him back into the family and he forgives him and he just showers him with mercy and grace and love. I mean, it is absolutely wasteful and excessive the way that the father treats the son. Unconditional love of a parent. It's fascinating how that can change things for us. And when we understand God as a father, as a parent who loves us unconditionally, it really changes the way that we view a lot of things. There's a story about uh, Greg Luganis, who was an uh, Olympic diver. And in 1988, he was in uh, Seoul, Korea for the Olympics. And he actually smacked his head on a diving board and uh, had to have stitches put in and smacked his head on the way down on a dive on a diving board that a previous diver had smacked his head and actually died And he smacked his head during the Olympics, had to have stitches put in, and they asked him afterwards, what were you thinking during that moment when he came back out, did another dive after that, and then won the gold medal? And they go, man, where was your head in all that? And here's what he said, I was thinking, no matter what happens, my mom still loves me. And he was thinking that because when he was 11 years old, he had uh, been in diving, even at a young age, and he had kind of messed up. And he went out and he was so, just, uh, so frustrated with himself. And his mom walked up to him and she goes, Greg, I didn't come here to watch you win. I came here to watch you dive. Go out there and do your best. And no matter what happens, I will still love you. And that unconditional love of a parent just propelled him. I mean, he just knew no matter what happens, my mom still loves me. It's amazing what the unconditional love of a parent can do. And regardless of what you experienced with your own earthly parents, here's what you need to know. The scriptures reveal over and over and over again that God is a loving Father who loves you unconditionally, who pursues relationship with you, who will never stop pursuing relationship with you. Is that how you see God? Do you see him as a forgiving, loving Father who lavishes undeserved grace and mercy and love upon his children? If not, I mean, I'm telling you, this is who God is, and everything in our faith flows from our right image of God as a loving Father. Then we see this next word in the creed: "I believe in God the Father Almighty." Almighty means He's a powerful God, and I can worship Him. See, God is both intensely personal and infinitely powerful. We see both of these attributes on display in the prayer that Jesus taught to pray, uh, His disciples to pray: "Our Father in heaven," intensely personal holy or hallowed is your name, meaning you're God and I'm not. And in the creed, this word almighty is a collective term, and it's meant to represent all of God's attributes, that God is uh, omnipotent, that he's omniscient, that he's omnipresent, his self-existence and immutability. You're like, okay, what the heck did you just say? That's just a bunch of theology words that I just wanted to show you I could pronounce. All right? But here's the deal. Uh, This just means that God is all powerful, that he's all knowing, that he's all present, he's everywhere at the same time, that he always has been, he has no beginning or end, and that he never changes. That's what almighty means, that this is the almighty God, that we can know that he is worthy of our worship. Worship meaning not just that I sing songs to him, that's one aspect of worship. Worship meaning that I surrender my life to him, that this is a God who is, he's God and I'm not. He is powerful. He has more power than I do. In fact, in Isaiah, uh, this is written to the nation of Israel. And this is Isaiah, a prophet who's given a message of God, and he's reminding them of something about, about this attribute of God. He says this. This is God speaking through Isaiah. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Now, this is not an arrogant statement by an egocentric, self-obsessed deity. You're like, oh, that's kind of arrogant, God. This isn't an arrogant statement. It's not like God is obsessed with himself or he's got some big ego. This is a loving statement by a loving father to his kids, right? I have echoed that same idea to my children many times. My ways are far above your ways, children. <laughs> I have ways you know not of, things you cannot imagine. And what he's saying is, listen, from your perspective, it's, it's difficult for you to understand, and we just know this is true. There are certain ages of our kids where we go, I, I can't even explain this to you. I just need you to trust me because I have more experience and because I see things from a different lens and because I'm your dad, because I'm your parent, because I love you. I can't even explain to you. There's no way I can get you, four-year-old, seven-year-old. You know, there's no way I can get you to understand where I'm coming from and why I'm asking you to do this thing I'm asking you to do because you won't understand it from your limited perspective as a four-year-old. I just need you to trust me because my ways are higher than your ways. Perfect parenting quote for you this week. And the truth is, the point that the creed is making is that scripture reveals over and over again, God is bigger and greater and stronger than we could imagine. And part of an authentic and healthy faith is a a right-sized image of God in relation to a right-sized image of myself. It's an appropriate understanding of my place in the universe. It's an appropriate understanding that God is God and I'm not. And, and the truth is, that's where surrender really begins. If you're going to worship God, meaning, okay, God, I'm surrendering my life to you. Worship is singing again. is such a great part of worship, and, and, it, and it allows us to express what we're already living. But when we come together and we sing songs together, man, that isn't like, oh, I, I worship, and then I get to go out and live my life however I want to. Like, I live my life surrendered to God. That's my act of worship. And then I get to come in here with other people who are doing the same thing, and I get to put the exclamation point at the end of the sentence. That's what that's about. But worship at its core is saying, God, I surrender to you. I'm living life your way because you're God and I'm not. And and there's even parts that I don't even understand why you asked me to do some of the things you asked me to do. But here's what I know. I know my appropriate place in the universe is not the center of the universe. That's you. And when we understand that we're not God, that we're not the center of the universe, then we recognize, okay, God, your ways are higher, and I can actually surrender to you. I can actually worship you because you are Almighty. So I believe in God, the Father, Almighty. And finally, it says, the Creator of heaven and earth. So here's that third part He's Creator. He is a purposeful God, and I can join Him. He's a purposeful God. A common modern view, worldview is that the entire cosmos, all the universe, it's, it's just merely an accident without any type of purposeful design or designer, and that the entire universe is just this sort of natural phenomenon with no transcendent meaning, and one day it just all exploded and happened, and followers of Jesus actually believe that there is a designer, actually believe that there is a creator. And we believe that everything that exists does so on purpose. There is a creator, there's intelligent design behind all of creation. And here's the truth. Every worldview has its story of origins, how it came to be, and how we understand our beginning is so important because it will influence the way we think about our identity, the way that we think about human identity, which will impact the way that we treat other people. It impacts so many things, our sense of obligation to others, our own self-worth and self-value and our purpose here in this world. In the scriptures, the origin story begins with this statement in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, this God Father, Son, Holy Spirit created the heaven and the earth. In fact, as you read through the creation narrative, you discover God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all present in the creation narrative found in Genesis. This triune God is working together, creating. The creation narrative is not meant to tell us the method of how God created the earth. And there's lots of arguments over that. And there's lots of like debate between, you know, sort of quote unquote Christian camps about, well, is the earth 6,000 years old or is it billions of years old? And I'm just going to tell you with, with incredible authority, I don't care. Because here's the point. The point is not intended to tell us how God created. I don't believe there needs to be a division between faith and science. There doesn't have to be any division there. Genesis is written in poetic Hebrew form. It's meant to tell us who created the world and why it was created. Again, Well, how old is the earth? Well, that's one of those non essential beliefs that followers of Jesus can be in disagreement about and still be in agreement on the fact that God is the one who created it. And He's the creator of heaven and earth. And the scripture story answers both of these questions God created the world, like like who created it and, and for what purpose? God created the world for our enjoyment and our involvement in it with Him. That's so awesome. Again, in Genesis chapter 2, the Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. Did God really need Adam and Eve's help tending his garden? God's like, oh man, I just created this garden. I need some gardeners. Maybe I'll create people. Like, Like, human beings weren't some kind of afterthought. The truth is, God could have cultivated the garden himself and he could care for the planet by himself. But God created humanity in his image. We're told that that we are the pinnacle of God's creation, and just as God existed forever to do something meaningful, God created humanity to do something meaningful with him. He invites us into the creative process. You, as a human being, are created in the image of God. That means because God is a purposeful God, you were created for a purpose. There are no accidents. There are no accidental kids. There are accidental parents, but there are no accidental kids. You were created by God. You were made for a mission. Every single one of us have been invited by God into the creative process because we were created in the image of God. And you might even think this, well, I'm not really that creative. But here's what that means. When I say that you were invited by God to to do something meaningful, do you realize, you look across all of the species on earth, every, every part of the animal kingdom, we, human beings, are the only species that has the ability to think outside of instinct, to envision something that does not yet exist, and then work towards creating that thing. No, There's no other species that can do that. We are the only ones. That's because we are created in the image of God, who is purposeful, who creates, who produces. God loves to create. Our creation narrative opens to a God who is creating the universe. In the beginning, God created, and he loves variety. Just look down your row. God loves variety, right? God is creative. There are not two people in the world who look exactly alike. He made every single person differently. That's amazing. How incredibly inefficient of God, right? It's like, what are you thinking? Did you know that there are over 300,000 different species of beetle? Uh, Can you say creative overkill God? What is he just like, oh, they're going to love these, right? (laughs) like, I don't get it. But God is a creative God. And the creation narrative opens to this God, and he's doing something meaningful. And he creates, and there's purpose to it. And then he goes, I'm going to create human beings in my image. We're going to create human beings in our image to be like us. And he invites us into that process. And that means you were made for a mission. That means your life on this planet is not meant to just exist And just survive and hopefully get to retirement. And you know, you were meant for a mission. You were made for a mission. You were created to partner with God in what he is doing in the world. And do you know what God is doing in the world now? He's drawing people to himself. He is trying to convince people of his love for them. He is pursuing relationship with them. That's why Paul would later on write this to the church in Corinth. He says, this means anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. God creates human beings in his image. We take matters into our own hands. We kind of mess things up. And then God sends Jesus into the world and goes, nope, we're going to get these human beings back on track. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And he brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us now... He goes, now I'm putting you back on the same mission. God's given us this task of reconciling people to Him. So we are Christ's ambassadors. An ambassador is somebody who goes from one nation to another nation and they represent the nation from which they came. And this is is Paul's way of saying we belong to this Jesus nation and we are to reflect the Jesus nation in the world that we live in. We're made for a mission. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So you get to be a part of what God is doing in the world when you are an ambassador of this Jesus nation into the world in which you live. That's amazing. God doesn't need your help or my help in the process of bringing people to himself. God can save anybody he wants to without any help from me. God doesn't need us, but he invites us In his grace, he invites us to partner with him in this great kingdom work of helping people come to know him and recognizing that he is a loving father. This has always been God's way to work and enjoy his creation together with us. He invites us into that creative process. He invites us into the purposeful way that he lives in this world. And so when you think about that, I believe in God the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. He is a personal God, we can know him. He is a powerful God, we ought to worship him. And he's a purposeful God, and we get to join him. We get to be a part of what he's doing. So here's the question. Do I believe? Do I believe this? Because this statement starts off, I believe... And it doesn't start off, we believe. This is a collective, uh, this isn't a a thing where we say, okay, we, this is what we believe together. This is a personal statement saying, I am going to build the foundation of my faith on this. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. So let me ask you a couple of quick questions before we close. Does your picture of God match the creed? Does your picture of God match that? Uh, Do you see him as a good father? Do you see him as an almighty God? Do you see him as the creator of heaven and earth, that like creating everything for a purpose? And if not, then what are the barriers that are keeping you from seeing God that way? What would it take for you to change your perspective or to change your point of view? Because this is the picture of God that we get from Jesus. This is the picture of God that is revealed through the scriptures. And so would you be willing to surrender to God on his terms and not based on your previously potentially flawed view of who God is. Here's another question. Will you join God in his mission? Would you, would you recognize, okay, I, I'm like an ambassador of the Jesus nation here in this nation that I live in. And, and I, I come from the Jesus nation, but I'm like an ambassador here. And, and so what I do should reflect the nation of which I'm a citizen and from which I came. And so would you join God's mission? Would you join God's mission here at Westbridge Church? I want to encourage everyone, join one. Everyone, join one. What does that mean? That means we've got tons of opportunities to be a part of the mission that God is up to here in the world by joining a team here at Westbridge Church. And as we continue to grow each and every week, we need to serve one another to make that happen. Uh, it was so awesome last weekend that we had 11 people say yes to following Jesus. But there were over 2,000 people in our building last week. That's incredible. Across five services, over 2,000 people showed up. But to do that, we need so many people who are a part of this church family who say, you know what, I love seeing people come to faith in Jesus, so I'm gonna get involved. I'm gonna be on the team. I'm gonna find somewhere to serve. I'm I'm gonna be a part of what God's doing here in this part of the world. This is a volunteer organization, serving and giving, and it takes all of us working together to create this ministry for our community. So would you join this mission with your life? God has a purpose for you where you live and where you work and where you play. Will you be a Jesus ambassador, a reflection of God's love to those around you? And then number three, have you ever said yes to Jesus? Have you ever said yes to the invitation? If God is truly this loving Father who's pursuing relationship with you, is it possible that you've never said yes to that invitation? I want you to know that when you read the Scriptures over and over, it tells us the minute that you put your faith in Jesus and that you trust Him, that you confess that you believe in him, that you trust him with your life, that uh, you have right standing with God. No matter what you've done in your past, no matter what you've said, no matter what acts you've committed, no matter what you've thought, uh, no matter what judgments you've held, no matter what doubts you've had, no matter what questions you had, no matter what relational baggage you continue to bring with you, the minute you say, I put my trust in Jesus, God... You sent Jesus into the world. He he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And I want to have a relationship with you. You have right standing with God. And if you've never said yes to that, I want to invite you to do that. Some of you, I want to invite you to say yes to a serving team. Some of you, I want to invite you to begin to say, you know what? I've got this idea of God that doesn't jive with a loving Father. And I recognize it's from some previous history and I'm willing to shed that. I'm willing to do the work and, and forgive and not overlay my negative experience over my Heavenly Father. And some of you just want to say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. So whether you're online or in the room, just say yes to this prayer as we close if you want to say yes to following Jesus. God, please forgive my sins and forgive me for the times that I've walked away from you. And I thank you that you never walk away from me. You are like the story in the, in the prodigal father. You are wasteful and lavish and reckless with your love and grace. And so I want to say yes to being a part of your family. I want to see you as a loving heavenly father. Make me your son. Make me your daughter. And then help me to to join you in your mission here in the world, to, to be a part of your family, to live life the way that you want me to live because I trust you. And God, I pray for every single one of us that our life would not just be about going through the motions and kind of just surviving one week into the next, but that we would participate, that we would truly live as Jesus ambassadors, that we would be people from the Jesus nation who live out your lavish and reckless and wasteful love and grace and mercy to the world around us. We thank you and we pray this in your name, amen.